A mother in Yuma, Arizona is desperately seeking answers nearly a decade after her 19-year-old daughter went missing. I'm just begging and pleading for somebody to please help us, help us find her. He used to own Black Rose. So he had construction below his trailer. He had like a hole there. I was like, dude, that guy? No way. I knew he was weird, especially with young ladies, but I didn't know he was, you know. But that's the thing. You never know with anybody. I'm Elle Marquis, and this is Rural Gothic, a podcast about small towns with big crimes. This is season one, and I'm trying to figure out once and for all what happened to Emily Heber. My old friend from high school is saying a guy I used to know who owned an all-ages music venue killed Emily and buried her below his trailer. He's saying that he saw the hole with his own eyes. Is it possible I've known Emily's killer for years and is he still walking around Yuma a free man? I have to talk to this guy, but I don't just want to, you know, ask him if he killed somebody. I don't want to get ahead of myself. This could just be a rumor. To be honest, I barely remember him. I know he used to hang out with much younger people. I remember he was always at the shows, even when I was super young. I think he worked the door at a lot of the all-ages shows. My mom worked during the day and took night classes, so my teenage brothers were my main caretakers from ages 4 to about 10 or 11. So I spent a lot of time at underground punk shows when I was little. I know a lot of these people. I should just call him and catch up. I mean, I'm doing a podcast on Yuma and old crimes. I could just call him and ask him about his venue and the all-ages scene and see if he has any old stories to tell. Well, I'm I was born in Yuma, Arizona. My dad was a lettuce farmer. So lettuce farming is why we ended up in Yuma. That's how my family ended up in Yuma, too. I mean, well, obviously, it's a huge agricultural place. So my grandfather worked in the lettuce field. Yes, my grandfather was big into lettuce and brought it actually to Yuma, Arizona in 1932. I just want to pause right here and explain that lettuce and agriculture in general is a big part of the legal economy in Yuma. In fact, Yuma is known as the lettuce capital of the world. Famous migrant rights activist Cesar Chavez was from Yuma and my grandmother Mary even marched alongside him. If what he is saying is true, that's a pretty big deal. I remember hearing whispers about his dad and grandfather being well-connected. I wonder if this has anything to do with it. Um, back in my day when I was going to high school and whatnot, we used to rent out the ACPE club and throw shows in the 90s. I usually handed out at the door collecting the entry fee and doing some roading stuff and whatnot. And that's what got me started was the shows back then. And then it stopped for a long time. Mm. And I mean, my love of coffee, I, I had friends that owned espresso bars in Tucson. Yeah. And when I came across a lot, you know, a big chunk of money because I sold a business here in Yuma, I decided I wanted to do an espresso bar. It took right off within the first couple of months. Mm-hmm. And the bands that played liked it and then spread it to other bands that they were playing with in other places and then before you know it they're you know it was mm-hmm. overbooking within seven or eight months so it was like i was turning down bands it got really big really fast and i wasn't even ready for it right are um, there any notable shows 
that you look back on and you were like, wow, impressive. Oh, the most impressive was Suicide Silence and Job for Cowboy. Yeah, that thing it. went way out of control so fast because, I mean, it was like 3,000 people showed up. Yeah, I almost went to jail that night over that show. The fire department and about 25 officers showed up to shut that show down. Oh, my God. That's I had to sneak out the back door. It didn't support itself, so after about seven or eight months, I, I ran out of money and shut it down. Uh, I mean, I've been to shows where people died. Oh, my God. Can you tell me about well, those? OzFest 2000, Pantera, Phoenix. It was pretty tragic because everybody was trying to get it to the front. Do you have any creepy crime stories? Any creepy stuff that ever happened at your venue or just in your life in general? No. Nothing? It's just, you must have done oh. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't want to re incriminate myself. <laughs> I have an extensive crime record from the early 90s. Well, anything interesting you want to share? No, I try to forget all that. I've turned my life around, and I'm now a manager of a transportation outfit for the railroad, so I'm doing pretty big things nowadays. Anything you're willing to share? Um, Well, there was this one guy that got ran over by a taxi one time. Oh, my God. And that was uh, in front of Club Sky. Oh, I remember Club Sky. I remember. Right. Was that the two-story one with the yes. club in the bottom? Yeah. Yes. Yep. And, yeah, I don't think that guy lived. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. If you think of any good stories. Or well, it just so happens I have my Jello wrestling champion sitting right across from me from the Black Rose. When I had my Jello wrestling competition. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, Boston Toscano is here. Oh, uh, well, I'm down to talk to someone else if you've got someone else there. Yeah. What do you remember about the Black Rose? Hi, how are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great, thanks for asking. So what is this competition? He bought a larger-sized inflatable kiddie pool, filled it with Jello, Cool Whip, and ice. Oh, my gosh. Are you about to tell me that you wrestled in that? Yes. There were, I want to say, 11 competitors. And that sounds it, so cold and so sticky. Oh, uh, that was the only problem was the ice. It was freaking freezing. I didn't know there was ice in there. I thought it was all delicious lime jello. <laughs> Wait, so you took on 11 other women and one? Oh, he never said that it was all women. Oh, my God. Wait, so you... Okay, start from the beginning. Tell me the story. This is wild. It was 11 people. Now, women were encouraged to join the competition more than the men were, but... They were both. At the time, I was 5'1 and 120 pounds. Jesus. So you wrestled all of these people? And wait, did you win? Is that what I understood? You you won the competition? Yes, ma'am. But I didn't do it to win. I did it for the fun of it because I loved the fact that the Black Rose was such a safe place. 
for people to hang out without judgment mm-hmm. and a good crowd to just socialize with. As a matter of fact, it was scheduled once a week for me and a friend to um, pull a prank or some kind of a joke on people. And we did just about every week. I love that. What kind of pranks would you pull? Uh, well, um, the first one was that we showed up and nobody knew that we were going to start doing this in Adam and Eve costumes. Oh, my God. And nobody knew that we were pulling a prank. We told them it was date night. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. We just sat in the booth and acted normal. And we did it to entertain the crowd at his Black Rose Coffee Shop. Thank you so much for your time. It was so good to catch up with you. Hey, thank you. Yeah, of course. Have a good one. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Wow. I cannot for the life of me understand how an all-gender jello wrestling match in bikinis is at all appropriate for an all-ages venue. And did she say Adam and Eve costumes? Does that mean naked? Also, was this woman sitting there with him the whole time we were talking? I really wanted to come into this interview with a neutral position, but after talking to, let's call him Chad for now, after talking to Chad, I couldn't stop thinking about this issue of abuse of power between adult men and teen girls in the all-ages community. I have personally had so many experiences with older men at all-ages shows acting inappropriately towards me. When these men are in a position of power, like being a club or venue owner, they think they can get away with anything. And honestly, they get away with quite a bit. I want to take a moment to say that I have always been a huge supporter of the all-ages scene. I think there needs to be more community spaces for teens to be creative and have access to art, music, and counterculture. The all-ages scene is a big part of why I am the human I am today. It's how I got interested in veganism and organizations like Food Not Bombs. I learned a lot about politics and really what it means to be a part of a creative community. However, it's practically a trope at this point that all-ages spaces are hunting grounds for older predatory men. I've seen memes about it lately, but while there's something comforting about laughing at our traumas, there's really nothing funny about it. While this was on my mind, I wanted to reach out to a friend who's been talking publicly about this specific issue a lot lately. My name is Cecilia Della Peruti. I play music, I make music. Did you find that you were drawn to like all ages venues and community spaces when you were in high school? Yeah, so pre-getting a fake ID, um, <laughs> Our options were all-ages venues that were sort of branded to be safe spaces for youth, places where you could convince your parents that you could go because it was the responsible environment and the whole language and mission of these venues were geared towards like pretty much indoctrinating children into this pseudo- glamour, rock, insular scene. I know exactly what you're talking about. Sort of 
think really highly of themselves and never pay the musicians and Mm -hmm. label it as like a co-op so you have to like pay your dues in a way Mm -hmm. so it was exploitative in a lot of different ways but yeah I was drawn to that because (laughs) the kind of feeling around it was you you were lucky to like be there and be let in it was like you're around these cool people there's older people there yeah you get to hang out with these people that are making music and like doing it professionally yeah it's a weird scene there's like 12 year olds and like 35 year old men yeah (laughs) in the same space And the 35-year-old men were, like, feigning ignorance, like, almost performing a teenage voice. This sort of, like, yeah, I'm, like, really stoked on this new skate park that just opened. Bro, you're 38. (laughs) Do you not, like, do you know what your credit score is? They were actually one of us. Mm -hmm. Weirdly, a voice of authority but also, it's cool. They're lifers, like yeah, or like a peer. It's like <laughs> right. oh, we're, or a we're mentor. part of the same team. Yeah, or a mentor. Yeah, exactly. yeah. They were crawling the walls. Those guys. At the time, I had like a mohawk, and I was thinking, like, looking back, like, oh my god, you knew how young I was. <laughs> I also wasn't even the youngest person in those spaces, they were like actual children Mm -hmm. that were weirdly glorified as some like someone's lost child who's like this rebel kid, like some, uh, it's like Mm -hmm. suburbia shit. We're in the third wave punk scene and you people are still glorifying child abuse. Mm -hmm. That's weird. While editing this episode, I got another call from John. Okay, John, are you there? Yes. Okay, this is being recorded. Okay. Do you know anybody else that might have seen the construction in his trailer? You know who I remember told me? The one that told you the rumor? I saw him post something, and I was like, holy crap, it was that guy that told me. Because we were sitting in my backyard next to my shed. Okay, I know this guy too. Let's call him Adam. He was friends with my brothers growing up. I know this sounds like a crazy coincidence, but that's just how it is in Yuma. Everyone knows everyone. He used to come over after school and play guitar, and I remember always getting a good vibe from him. Even though I haven't talked to Adam in years, I know him well enough to give him a call out of the blue. And that's exactly what I did. I can finally hear you. Finally hear me. That is great. I'm pretty much an open book, and and I'm not gonna you know, betray anybody's trust by anything that I say. You know, I'm still an OG in Yuma, you know. But <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> I'm one of the and old guys now. And that's really. I think that that's part of what has made Emily's case so difficult. Is there's just a lot of people that don't want to implicate themselves or people they know and I get that and I mean people have told me I I should be careful but I feel like because I'm not there hopefully I'm okay (laughs) you know without implicating anybody or anything like that have you heard any rumors about what might have happened to her 
they need look they need to actually open an investigation and do a real investigation not you know like like the way we pushed and pushed and pushed for them to, to you know to put the dude away that killed Mikey Okay, I need to give you some context here, and it might help you understand another reason why I've become so enmeshed in Emily's story. Mikey, who Adam just mentioned, was my brother. He struggled with a methamphetamine addiction and lived a high-risk lifestyle. He's the reason I know all of these people who knew Emily, and Mikey even knew Emily. He was in prison for a nonviolent parole violation at the time of her disappearance, But since he knew everyone in her circle, he was still questioned by the police at the time, just in case he could provide answers. Whatever happened to Emily happened when he was away. I think a lot of my pull to Emily's story comes from my own grief, because my brother was killed just two years ago. In spite of his addiction, he was an incredible human. I miss him every day. I empathize so much with Emily's family, and the pain and the hope that comes with loving an addict. But at least I know what happened to my brother, and his killer was brought to justice. Emily's family deserves to know what happened to her. This story isn't about me or my family, so that's the last time I'll talk about my brother, but I just felt it might help you understand how I could get so emotionally tethered to someone else's story. Someone I spoke to said they heard a rumor that a person named killed her and buried her in his trailer. From what I know, from my stories that I've heard, you're on the right track. And and, and, and I, I couldn't, I, I don't know anything more. I've heard that rumor. I, I've heard that rumor, and, but it never came out of my mouth. I've been in the house, and yeah, there was construction there. You know, there was a fucking man. You know, that guy. You know, I ain't got nothing nice to say about that guy. See, here's the thing. Back in the day, he told me that he killed this guy named Scott Wilkinson and and buried him out in the desert, right? And and I and Scott was a friend of mine. You can hear the rest of my conversation with Adam in the next week's episode of Royal Gothic, What Happened to Emily Heber. Please keep in mind that Emily is still missing and her family needs answers. A real way you can help right now is by subscribing to Royal Gothic and by rating, reviewing, and sharing it with everyone you know. I want to thank Jenny Jimenez for trusting me with Emily's story and to all of Emily's friends and family for their participation. A special thanks to Zach Schwartz for editing, Manish Matahar for the original score, and Jam Cole for production assistance, Caleb Groh and Joshua Anzano for audio production assistance, and sources for this episode can be found in the notes. See y'all next time.